house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Need help, sir? Oh, uh, officer, hi. You need help? Uh, no, no, I'm fine, thank you. What do you got there? Uh, pecans. I'm delivering pecans to my niece. Pecans? Here. Yeah, pecans. She makes the worst pecan pie you've ever tasted. I feel sorry for her husband, but and I feel sorry for the pecans, too. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that did not miss 60B. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with that pervy flirt from the flower convention, Hmm. Joe Reed. Hello, how are you? I'm okay. Um, I'm shaken. I'm shaken by the fact that this movie that we're talking about today got a not, got a seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm gonna have some things to say. Like um, I feel like I almost feel like there's an intervention in order for people for their Clint Eastwood complexes that just like. I don't I, know. I don't know. Maybe I'm the one with the complex. But like it's so I feel the same way. I feel exact I'm on the same page as you. It's so bizarre the way that people feel like there is some sort of need to sort of push back against negative responses to the and be like i'm gonna be the one who likes the clint eastwood movie and all of a sudden it's like well seven out of ten of you decided to make this decision so here we are now with a movie as objectively horrible as the mule (laughs) is 70 percent on rotten tomatoes with like some like major like shows up on like richard brody's best of the decade list like some like particularly like grumpy critics decided that this was going to be the movie that they liked like i just don't understand it and part of it is that he had like an, a worse movie that happened earlier in the year so there's this like right, weird absolutely. desire to balance the scales or something like that like i just i mean like i understand the people that like have the respect for him to pull out a movie in six months and I guess like, granted based off of some of his movies that he has like done in these fast turnarounds like the aesthetics of those movies the terrible scripts of this movie of those movies i i'll just say i expected it this to be worse in that regard so like maybe there is a certain level that some of these people are just not willing to admit that they also feel that way and then they were surprised by this well and i think especially with the mule because of the fact that it's Like, it's based on a true story from, like, a New Yorker, a New York Times article or something like that. Really vaguely based on it. About a 90-year-old drug mule for a cartel. And then it was optioned for a movie. In the 80s. And literally, like, 
the fact that like as soon as you hear that story and you hear that it was optioned for a movie, your very first thought is, "What is Clint Eastwood going to play him?" And because that, <laughs> that like actually happened, it's such a laughable premise on its face. And I think because there was so much like before anybody saw the movie, people were dunking on this movie. There was a real desire to like push back against. It's the only thing I can explain it where people just wanted to like not be you know, not fall for the temptation to like easily laugh at this movie. But like this movie's terrible. This movie's absolutely absolutely terrible. And I just I don't know how to reconcile people who with good taste and good reputations thinking otherwise. You know that I am not one to like leap towards a bad faith judgment especially if like people i respect but with this movie it made me like some people who love this movie it made me feel like they want to be like apologists for their racist grandfathers or something this is the thing like talk to a therapist visit your grandfather (laughs) do something do something besides decide that the mule is a good movie like i don't know I genuinely don't know. It's... The thing that surprised me about the movie is the mule does, like, in this weird way, try to be a comedy for a lot of it, which was surprising, but, like, the comedy made it, like... It only underlined all of the things I expected to be bad about it um, in the way that the movie is very much, like... um, uh, you know, totally fine and thinks that it's funny for him to, like, say homophobic things, say racist things. Um, I did enjoy him saying, you're welcome, Dykes. I feel like at least we have one movie out there where Clint Eastwood says, you're welcome, Dykes. And, uh... <laughs> I, I, I have a conflicted relationship with this because it's so bizarre that him saying that in that scene with this giant shit-eating grin on his face... Well, this is inherently just so like slams my bizarre. So it's funny buttons to me, but it is also like the movie thinks it's funny that he is homophobic. And and then you have these like apologist people who are like, well, it's part of the point that it is that he like Uh has all of these biases. Uh And it's like. Yeah, but no, it also reinforces all of those biases at every moment in this movie. So, we're going to delve into it at some point. Might as well do it now. So, the fact that this is the third film in 13... No, at this point, when it... Yeah, third film in 13 years, once Cry Macho comes out. Uh, directed directed by and starring Clint Eastwood and written by Nick Shank. All of which... Seem oh to operate on the premise of I want to rehabilitate the image of the old racist greatest greatest generation man through this avatar of Clint Eastwood by like putting him so much in proximity to non-white people that his sort of his unapologetic but like surface level racist attitudes feel okay and quaint by the end of the movie because mm-hmm. 
can't we all just get past these surface level differences that we have with each other? Like the fucking shit. Meanwhile, any non-white person that's around him is entirely a racial stereotype that like racists believe, right? Or like even if like it's the family the black family where he has them just change their tire. I was just like about to say. Fully emasculating this black man. The metaphorical shit-eating grin on the face of this movie during that scene, which is literally like, are you going to get mad at Clint Eastwood for saying the word Negro? He's changing their tire for them. Like, he's yeah, being he's not nice racist. to them. He's helping them with their car. And it's like, but you've, like, this is a fictional scenario that you have, like, written from, like, beginning to end. And you have, like, it's just, it's... And all of the dialogue that they say with him is, like, fucking stereo instructions. They're not real people. Right. I mean, that's true of everybody, of everybody in, this, in movie this movie who is not Clint Eastwood. So it's like, that's part of another grander problem. But when you have... The, and like, it's not like Clint Eastwood's character movie. is all that interesting either. He spends 85% of this movie singing along the songs in his car. Like it's, it, is a fi- it is uh Clint Eastwood's unofficial second musical he has ever made. 40% of the movie is him singing along to shit on his radio. Jesus Christ. And it's all like, they don't make songs like this anymore. And it's just, and it's like... <laughs> And I feel like if to like to like this movie, to be a, you know, right thinking critic and like this movie, you have to buy all of that stuff as comedic or charming or uh like making some sort of like wry statement about I don't know. I I like like the the it, the way that the greatest generation can't seem to fit in this new world full of whatever whatever and it's just like i suppose so and yet also you've like placed him in the middle of this like breaking bad scenario where like on all sides are like multiple are like whatever warring factions of this bloodthirsty cartel and the only sort of oasis of calm in it is Bradley Cooper, the white DEA agent, who is, like, not that corrupt, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, Well, and he also has Lawrence Fishburne as his boss, who, like, I think is literally billed as, like, agent in charge. Right. And Michael Pena (laughs) as his partner, which which all feels like insulation around criticisms of... So this is the other thing about Clint Eastwood that I don't understand. He doesn't seem to be a person who would give a shit about criticism. And yet his movies all seem to be these sort of like defiant postures against the kind of criticism that would come its way. So like either so much of this movie felt like a trolling, you know? Yes. Um, But why is Clint Eastwood trolling? Like, is it like, wouldn't, why would he care? Why does he give a shit? I mean, it's probably Nick Shank trolling. Nick yeah. Shank, who also wrote Gran Torino, The Judge, and is writing Cry Macho. Uh, tell me you're a Republican without telling me you're a Republican. <laughs> Seriously. Um, tell me you have an amazingly massive inferiority complex without telling me you have an amazingly massive inferiority complex. Tell me you're worried that actually, the world is passing you by without telling me the world is passing you by. Like, all of that shit. Like, <laughs> Well, it's... Okay, to like bring it back a little bit to the 
like free pass that this movie was given by a lot of smart people. I think, uh, well, first of all, like this movie came at the very end of the year where it's like, they're probably not watching that much or they're watching a shit ton. So it's like, it's something a little different. So you, when you have those like kind of blinders on, you may not see a movie for what it is. And like, we've all fallen victim to it. I certainly have, you have whatever, but like to give kind of a free pass to even, I think the ham fisted like thematics of this movie is like when you know you take it uh, there's like other movies that are that ham-fisted in what they're about and the moral and the character right. arc and like so obvious and they don't get that free pass and they're also not toxic so like it just what are you carrying this guy's water for why yeah, why What's does the Clint Eastwood get to get away with these like really like leaning into tropes having like everybody who like gave shit rightly so to old for its dialogue this year where it's like everybody explains what their function is to you everybody like you know you know what i'm saying about that movie yeah uh to i wonder who was saying that about old and also saying it about this movie right because it is that. And it's imagine, also just like, imagine it's, liking the mule and not liking old. Like what kind of a what? Like I don't want to. I don't want to fathom. Uh, famously, when he gets a new truck in this movie, he goes to Diane Weiss and says, "Can you believe I found this online?" <laughs> Poor Diane Weiss in this movie gets to show up and be like factually correct, but she's too mean about it. So like we feel sorry for Clint Eastwood, and then. She then dies so that he can be redeemed as a good person. This movie, this movie's cool. relationship with women cool. just drove me crazy because you have the angelic granddaughter who is yes. nothing but like perfect and wonderful and easy to dote upon. Yeah. The stricken uh, daughter who does nothing, who is played by Clint Eastwood's actual daughter, who does nothing but like go to the other side of the room whenever he enters the room. Allison and, Eastwood, by the way, who is uh, fate, soon fate to be facing trial for uh, stealing Lori Holden's face and uh, <laughs> and also person. I like, was thinking Monica Potter. I thought Monica yep. Potter was in this movie because of the one shot of her crying in the trailer. I was like, oh, Monica Potter. Yeah. Um, good she's getting paid, but apparently she's not in this movie. Hope she's getting paid elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and then you have Diane Weist who is, like, the shrew wife at all times. Right. It's just, and the movie like, understands... the archetypes of this are so, like, the movie... not only are they heavy-handed, but they are so archaic in terms of, like, gender roles. It's like it wants to be a fucking Norman Rockwell painting so much that, like, no one is a recognizable human in this movie, except for sometimes Clint Eastwood. This is such a Republican movie. It takes the Diane Weist character. It is fully aware and, like, fully admits that, like, she is right on the facts. She is correct. She has a, a, a grievance against this person. And yet it takes the position of, yeah, but, like, why does she got to make a big deal of it? You know what I mean? Like, it absolutely is sympathetic to Clint Eastwood because she's haranguing him. It, like, it, you know, f- focuses on his hangdog expression. He's so sad about it. He's so sort of, like, beat down about it. And, like, if that is not the perfect sort of just, like, yeah, but, like, 
you know, why are you making a big deal of it? Why do you, you know, why do you got to care so much? Why, why do you got to bring politics into everything? It's such a, it's just, it's so fucking obnoxious and, and pleased with itself in that way. And it's such a troll. It's such a troll of a movie. I feel yeah. bad for being mad about it because I feel like I've fallen <laughs> because into a trap. it wants us to be it wants us the uh lefter minded people to be mad about all of these things or anybody younger than 65 years old like it really just like it really the 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 kids today of of it all and he's <laughs> just like he's so opposed to like using a cell phone like you know who uses their cell phone more oh than anybody God. I know is like my mom and her sisters. You know what I mean? It's just like, this is not a kids today thing. You yes, fucking dinosaur. relationship with the internet. It thinks the movie, it thinks it is so funny because he is an old man who literally scowls and like grumbles. Internet. It internet. is just like, it thinks that's so funny. And I know like smart people who I respect who also thought that that was the wildest, funniest thing for this movie to do. And I think it is. Sad. I mean, sad. Something very bad. I think it is bad, yeah. and it's just like it, you know. And I think you know, for the type of audience member, the type of person that this movie is for. Like, while the movie is like structuring itself like it's supposed to be funny, that he thinks the internet is distrustful. Like, even if the like people who are you know who uh, relate to this character would go and see this. It's not, they're going to laugh at it, but it's also going to reinforce their Mm -hmm. worldview in Mm -hmm. a way that I found to be incredibly toxic. Yep. Do not disagree. So guys, we're talking about the mule. I feel like at this point, our listeners are going the full Goldie. Damn, you're mad, huh? To our Laylene. I'm a damn good mother rant. (laughs) That is such an insanely specific reference. I'm not even going to clarify it. If you know, you know. Um, yeah, yes. This, like, yes. Did I come in hot on this movie? Yes. Did I have a bad day and pick the wrong fucking day to watch Clint Eastwood movie? Yes. Sorry about it. Here we are. Here we are on a Sunday afternoon talking about this piece of shit movie. Um, <laughs> yeah but we're here to brighten each other's day hopefully <laughs> sure by yes. dogging on there's also a tropical nature. storm happening right outside my window right now so like it's really it's all happening le mule the mule the mule it's a, it's a mule it's about a mule i would have watched a movie about an actual mule i would have watched first mule instead of this movie i would have loved it Mule Why enter the lamb uh, fic- the cinematic universe is what I want. I, I would love to see an animated movie where Clint Eastwood voices a mule. I'm sure that exists. I would be shocked if that doesn't exist. No, I want Mule to be like the sequel to Pig and Lamb. Like Pig, Lamb, <laughs> mule. mule. That's what I want. <laughs> Yeah, there's an oh well, there's the Andrea Arnold Cow documentary. Also, I that I saw something else that there is another one. Um. I want it. To, I want it to keep happening. One word, barnyard animal, keep it coming. I want to see Cat starring Maggie Smith. I said, I made this joke on Twitter a few weeks ago, but I was just like the Hollywood producer in charge of this entire new trend. And it's just Charlotte up in Charlotte's web. She's just making all the calls. She's <laughs> greenlighting all these movies. Yeah. Um, 
Cronenberg Spider came out at the wrong time. It's true. It's really not true. a movie about a spider, but it's called Spider. It is. It sure is. So yeah, we're talking about Clint Eastwood's <laughs> The Mule at long last. The Mule. The uh, and with Cry Macho uh, right around the corner. Cry oh, Macho. I don't um, want to. I'm, I'm putting you all on like fucking notice. Thank you. I'm putting everybody on fucking notice. If there is a wave of low expectation good reviews of Cry Macho because you don't want to be the person who's dunking on a very dunkable movie, I have got my eyes on you. I am waiting. I'm waiting in the tall grass for you. We see you. We see you. You're not fooling anybody. All right. Anyway, it's the mule. Uh, let's uh, since we've already kind of dove and dived, D, D- Dave, Dave, we dave into that plot. <laughs> we daved um, into the mule. Uh, let's get the sixty second plot description out of the way, and we can sure. uh, keep talking about the nuance of this movie because there is a lot going on that, like, yeah. we can talk about, and we can talk about this Oscar race. It is kind of fascinating. Clint's uh, campaign relationship to Oscar at this point, right? Um. But guys, The Mule, directed by Clint Eastwood, written by his good old friend Nick Shank, based on a New York Times article by Sam Dolnick, starring Mr. Clint Eastwood, Diane Weist, uh, Bradley Cooper, Thaisa Farmiga, Michael Pena, Lawrence Fishburne, Allison Eastwood, our second Allison Eastwood movie after Midnight yep. in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yep. Definitely missed that, Clint Eastwood. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr., Ignacio Sericchio, and uh, Andy Garcia. And Andy Garcia as... Who exits um, the movie getting shot in the back. How dare you do that to Tommy Bahama? I was going to say, how dare you do that to Fernando? Now he can't be in Mama Thria. It is... uh, It's a shame. I don't think... I think part of the... I need to go back and watch Barb and Star again. Uh, sorry to spoil the joke for anyone who has yet to see Barb and Star. What, but first of all, how dare you? What the hell else are you doing yeah. with your life? How dare you? Go watch Barb and Star, one of the best movies of the year. Um, Andy Garcia turning to the camera and saying, I'm Tommy Bahama. That's great. The absolute funniest joke in a movie in years. It's great. Um, but the mule, after starting uh, filming in June of 2018, opened wide December 14th of 2018. <laughs> this movie got filmed in a half a day. We'll talk about this because this is the thing that drives me crazy about Eastwood. Yeah. That I do kind of want to discuss. Uh, but yeah, opened against the Spider Verse. Anyone who saw Spider Verse instead. Made a made a better choice. Yeah, I'll say. Or any of the other uh, films in the multiplex that were not this or Green Book. That's the one thing that it's like. You know, <laughs> That's true. That this was the same year as Green Book. The Oscars chose, uh, you know, uh, Best Picture winner that is also uh, pretty racist, but they overlooked the Mule, which is uh, pretty racist. Yeah. Anyway, Joe. Yes. You are tasked with giving our listenership a 60-second plot description of Zemul. Yeah. I didn't make any notes, so I'm fully freeballing this one. So, I don't know. We'll see how far I get. Well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, podcasting is not a visual medium, but uh, good to know. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, Anyway, Joseph, your 60-second plot description of The Mule starts... 
now. All right. Clint Eastwood is an old ass horticulturalist who has alienated his family by never being around for them. Uh, one day he shows up at his granddaughter's engagement party. She's the only one in the family who is still nice to him. Uh, he gets yelled at by his ex-wife played by Diane Weist. And as he's leaving, the seemingly only other Latinx person, the only Latinx person at this party, this engagement party, also happens to work for a drug cartel. So he offers Clint Eastwood a job uh, as an unwitting drug mule driving shit across the state of Illinois. And because he's, he'll never be suspected by the cops because he's old and white and cool. And so Clint Eastwood uh, embarks upon a lucrative career running drugs across Illinois for a cartel. The cartel gets very violent. Things get bad. He's pursued by a DEA agent played by Bradley Cooper. Diane Weist dies. He gets a redemption by being by her bedside. And finally, he ends up getting arrested by the DEA and goes to jail. Uh, Goes to jail because he won't take a plea bargain or he won't uh, allow his lawyer to defend him on the merits because that's i don't know queer or something like there's so so much stuff yeah he has to he has to actually go to jail to be a good person there's so much greatest generation posturing in this movie where it's just like i could allow my Mm -hmm. could allow my lawyer to try to defend me but that would be i have to do the honor i gotta do i gotta stand up as a man or whatever and it's just it's so obnoxious whereas you could also be like you know if you make that decision i mean if you make that decision it's just another example of you in a long chain abandoning your family right right yeah congratulations now you're leaving your family again to go and Right, grow flowers, which is what you've been doing your entire life. So it's not like you're making an actual sacrifice. You're doing the shit that you like to do anyway. It's just behind fucking bars. I don't know. Um. Oh, this movie, movie opens mad. at a Daylily conference, which yeah. like seems kind of lit. Like that could be fun. Let's go. I mean, clearly he's like flirting with all the ladies and wearing his little In bow tie and his little hat suit, like right. a handsome man. Like I do like in that scene. I was like, what? the fuck is this what am i watching he's obsessed with flowers you're very Alyssa edwards a ramada in conference yeah. you're very Alyssa edwards what the fuck am i looking at on this day like what it's is very much that he's like flirting with old women in there and then once like you hop forward in 12 years in time when he is like yeah. disgraced and no longer can go to daylily conferences I actively wanted to be back at that conference every minute of this movie. I mean, it certainly was. I mean, I like that's what an old person would be doing right now. So cool and good for that person. That was the only part of this movie where he sort of reminded me of my one grandfather who was sort of uh, would have dressed that way and would have sort of he wasn't a flower grower, but he had his little, you know, things that he would do with his you know his little parkinson's support group which i really enjoyed and um yeah it was nice and then the whole movie turns into breaking bad but with an even older white person and yeah i did think it was again not to like seek out racism at every turn but like really truly like the one brown face in that crowd at that wedding at that rehearsal dinner oh yeah um just happened to work for a drug cartel and offered him a job. I was just like, this is real convenient and cringy. And it's not the last time that that would happen. Um, 
But I think I this this movie bothered me more beyond just the sort of quiet racism, you know, of its of its both plot. Yeah, and I don't its, think it's so quiet, movie. but yes, absolutely. Well, I don't I don't necessarily mean quiet, but it's I think I think this movie it's just at a constant low simmer. This movie knows it's being racist and feels like it's being benignly racist. And mm-hmm. in a way, and again, talking about, you know, helping the black family who can't change a tire, change a tire. And it's really trying to make this point of just like, yes, he just said a bad word. Yes, he just said that all Mexicans look alike. Yes, he just like, you know. Uh, yes, it just made a punchline out of him saying one word in Spanish. Isn't it funny? Right. But like, but why, why are you taking that so seriously when like, he's, you know, he's working with these people, he's helping these people, he's, you know, actually interacting with these people and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah, but like, you're asking for credit, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're mm-hmm. asking for credit on behalf of this man to, I don't know, this, this movie seems to be really arguing for like, shouldn't we respect you know, this man for his lifetime's work of yada, 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 providing for his family or being a veteran or, you know, any number of things. And shouldn't we get over the fact that he can't change with the times? Well, I think a movie can have that argument if it actually presents human beings and not these, like, archetypes or ideas Mm -hmm. of people, you know? Like, this movie is not smart enough to make that argument in yeah. a real substantial way where it's like we're talking about an actual like person you yeah. know it's like it's the it, like every uh female character is the idea of a certain type of woman instead of right. being a fleshed out character he even though like we spend enough time with him that he feels like a more fleshed out character, he's still the idea of an 80 year old behind the times yep. veteran, yep. you know, it's yep. like, it's like it, you can try to make that argument or you can do it in a cogent, uh, nuanced way. Right. If you're presenting actual characters, like there's also the fact that like this movie feels very, it just feels poorly thought out. In, in ways that are not even offensive. The idea that the whole premise of this movie is that they hire him to be a drug mule because nobody will ever suspect him of being a drug mule because he's an old white man. For that to be your premise, he sure does get pulled over by the police a lot. Just so you can have little scenes of tension where you're hoping that he doesn't get caught. But it's like, if the whole idea... Where he pulls out the Ben Gay... To throw to off the, the dog. scent for the drug dog. Right. Which is like, I guess that's like a cool little moment of like, you know, I writing. It was supposed to be funny. We write... see the Ben Gay label and we're supposed to laugh at that. Well, and, and also, like, and it's supposed laughing. to be like, uh, you know, we're writing him, you know, getting out of a jam or whatever. And it's like, okay, cool. But it really does kind of damage the premise of your movie. This idea that like, why, why does he keep getting pulled over? Why does he have to keep like talking his way out of these things if the whole idea is that he's an old white man and old white men are never pulled over by the police? Like, well, and then when you do see a not white man pulled over by the police, the script asks him to say like statistics of how oh, in it's danger he is. Such a bad scene. 
Again, I was like, what are you trying to do with this he's, moment right he, here? He, that are you person trying to be informative to your white audience, or are no? You literally, it's, it's literally reducing a person to statistics. It's Nick like, Shank being like some annoying asshole on Twitter was spouting statistics about you know non-white people getting pulled over by the police. So I'm going to put these like facts and figures into this person's mouth because like he's not a person; he's just a stand-in for a you know something on the internet that was something in the culture that annoyed me do you know what i mean like again this is a clint eastwood movie that really feels like it's on twitter all day and it's really annoying for that yeah the upside is we will maybe never have to do gran torino now and i would love to never see that movie (laughs) gran torino is like so similar to this movie in a lot of ways and not just because it's also a Clint Eastwood movie that he stars in that he's playing a certain type of character like the characters are reasonably enough a different like in this movie he's playing a somewhat amiable person and in that movie he's playing you know a cliche grouch but like Gran Torino is maybe the worst version of this movie to me because like what that's what made this movie such a big like question mark throughout the 2018 season is because it had this really fast turnaround mm. and like critics didn't get to see it until very late they didn't end up like campaigning it all that much which like we can get into but like you hear all these stories and you read these interviews with the stars of Clint Eastwood movies and it's like they talk about like he's really economical on set doesn't like to do a lot of takes doesn't take long with setups and such and it's like yeah the movie movies yeah look you can like tell it. they end up <laughs> looking like shit yeah and like Gran Torino is one of those movies for me I was surprised surprised that this movie wasn't it's not really that visually interesting but at the same time like it it doesn't look as clumsy as some of his later movies that he does on these really fast turnarounds have looked to me. Yeah. I I mean, I don't it's not like I hate all Clint Eastwood movies. There are some there's some I that certainly I don't. There are some that I like better than I think the general consensus is. I feel like the worm really turned on Mystic River after a while there, but I find that to be a very watchable movie and a very sort of, you know, engaging uh, film. I think Letters from Iwo Jima is pretty great, actually. Um, but like, I mean, Bridges of Madison County, like yeah. people kind of, I think there's, you know, it definitely has its fans, but like, I think in the wider, uh, certainly more male, uh, critical establishment, people do kind of still look down their nose at that movie. Like it's some, like just some average. It's Cause it's weepy. Clint Eastwood's chick flick. And, but like, you know. it's so much more than that. And like, it makes me really like, question Clint Eastwood as like kind of a humanist filmmaker because like Mm -hmm. it moves to these emotional rhythms that are so like human and easy to invest in and like it digs really deep into this huge well of feeling and this right empathy for these circumstances and these like the tough decision that Meryl's character ultimately has to play and like the weight that it like carries well it does it so incredibly well that like you look at a movie and its emotional stakes and like its emotional nuance like the mule and think that he's being lazy like right 
Well, even I mean, the movie... like, not to call a man who's still directing and starring in movies in his 80s lazy, but, like, it's just... He's just not making movies that are interested in going as deep, even as, like, A Mystic River, which, like, I have problems with, but, like, that's an incredibly handsomely made movie. Right. And I think even a movie like American Sniper, which I didn't really like... And, but that is a movie that I think doesn't necessarily take the perspective on that character that you sort of expect that Clint Eastwood's going to take. And every once in a while, mm-hmm. he he's more thoughtful about certain things than I give him credit for. Which is why I do want to sort of like chalk up the particular odiousness of the mule to this like Clint Eastwood Nick Shank partnership because clearly mm-hmm. like it's the nick shank movies where like it this real ugliness comes out this idea that like if only clint eastwood or an old greatest generation grizzled man were around to like show these non-white help these non-white people sort of grow up right which seems to be the premise of cry macho which seems to be like existing on the periphery of certain scenes in the mule certainly that again changing the tire scene uh, where, like, it's not even just you guys don't know how to change a tire. It's did your daddy ever teach you how to change a tire? Exactly. Which is a real, real particular way of phrasing that. Um, and, and you know, and that applies to, I think, Gran Torino as well, where it's just sort of like, you know, you wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't be these, you know, young little street punks if, you know, you had an old old man like Clint Eastwood around to, to raise you right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It even exists in Million Dollar Baby with this whole idea that, like, you know, she deserves, she's got, you know, white trash parents and Margot Martindale's a nightmare and all this sort of stuff. And doesn't she deserve a caring father who will look out for her? A Million Dollar Baby is a movie that I more so have, like, reservations about that I think largely, and, like, reservations just beyond that family um, in terms of, like, what it's actually saying about some of its characters and, like, some of the, like, cliches that are on the toxic side. Um, I have reservations about that movie, but I think it's a good movie. But, like, American Sniper, to me, is a movie that, aside from being Islamophobic, talks out of both sides of its mouth. It does. And is really blessed to have a really great Bradley Cooper performance that does, I think, a lot of the uh, emotional lifting on at least one side of the mouth that it's talking out of. Yeah. Bradley Cooper, um, by the way, in this movie is really wasted. Not there. Well, like what is, what exists on the paper for this, this character? Right. Not much of anything. He's very much just like a two dimensional cop who's on the trail of this guy. And like in one scene, they give him this like half a trait where he's having trouble with the wife back home, but it only exists so that Eastwood can bond with him over his, you know, neglect Mm -hmm. of his family when he was younger. And I mean, this, I guess is a Cooper doing a favor for Eastwood or like Cooper feeling like he can't say no when Clint Mm -hmm. Eastwood comes calling after everything that American sniper did for, did for him. But ah, it's why, why are we cast? Why cast Bradley Cooper in such a nothing role? I don't understand. Right. The movie was originally supposed to be a Ruben Fleischer movie. And like, it still feels like it's Clint Eastwood trying to do that type of movie. Yeah. I think you probably would have gotten just because the point of view changes. I think you probably would have gotten even a better movie with Ruben Fleischer because like the type of it, 
would have probably been an outright comedy, whereas this movie is like is kind of a comedy. Talk about Ruben Fleischer for our listeners, if uh... okay. So Ruben Fleischer is the Zombie Land guy. Yeah. Um, also, Thirty Minutes or Less, but like these kind of gauche comedies, you know, that are very broad. He also did a uh, Gangster Squad and Venom. Ha! I forgot about that. Uh, we could do a Gangster Squad episode, but the I lost Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone classic Gangster Squad. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But these kind of like comedies that like the poor taste is part of the point, And you could say that it has a more satirical lens. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Clint's version of this movie is like not even Americana, but like, mid-century American values, right? Where it's like, it's much more straightforward of what it's doing and it still tries to do the comedy part of it. Like, I think you would have a movie that would at least make sense and be at least less cringy. I think it would be more interested in the other characters besides just one also. Right. And you have these really good actors playing. You've cast you've cast Clifton Collins Jr. You've cast Andy Garcia. You've cast um, uh, Ignacio Sericio, who uh, I only know from uh, having been on General Hospital. He was a as a sort of younger uh, actor. He was on General Hospital. He ended up being uh, a serial killer. That he was one of those like who is killing all of these people and it turned out to be him. Um, and also Robert Lasardo, who plays the first sort of the boss of that first garage that Clint Eastwood goes into. He was also a uh, a scary Latinx villain on General Hospital for a while. General Hospital did not have a good run for a little bit there in terms of Yeah, it sounds like uh, I, I usually scary... love when you go into uh, soap talk. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, it's just a completely other planet for me that I am fascinated by. Yeah. But uh, it sounds like uh, you're going into some examples that are also not great. Yeah. General Hospital, I mean, not to go into a whole thing, but like of all the soaps, General Hospital is the one that every once in a while, not every once in a while, kind of for a decade or more there uh seemed like it w- wanted to attract male viewers for whatever reason and it was and the, okay. the there was a the central plot of that show for like a decade or more was this like mob violence like the storylines <laughs> and i was just like okay but like i want to watch the show that's about like you know love triangles and secret twins and and whatnot which was what one life to live was doing at the time anyway we don't need to talk about it um it is it is fascinating to me a bradley cooper in this movie yeah doing a favor basically yeah seemingly or like just saying yes to clint asking him in the year of a star is born because it's like he probably you know locked the cut of the movie showed up on set did his like you know three days or however long even though he's in half of the movie <laughs> it took him to film these scenes i would call um, the mule bradley cooper's norbit except i don't think enough people realized bradley cooper was in the mule for it to be his norbit but like t- time wise it did sort of coincide with you know the the momentum for his a star is born oscar campaign kind of falling apart yeah well, and I mean, he did so little press in this year that, like, it was easy for him 
it to get lost mm-hmm. that he was in this movie mm-hmm. because like the poster is 50% just Clint Eastwood's oh, head yeah. in the background. Oh, yeah. So it's like it, it this movie hinged on Clint Eastwood in terms of how it was promoted. Um but like there was that one profile of Bradley Cooper that really like soured it from the beginning and then like he showed up to events but like he wasn't doing interviews and such for that movie and i think that was what like contributed to him not really kind of getting arrested in terms of like being the front runner in that category what was the big deal with that profile again i remember it being a big deal but i can't remember the specifics of it i honestly can't either (laughs) and i forgot to go back and read it but it was just people being crabby that he was being crabby if i remember correctly like he was being kind of evasive and like right right he didn't want to talk about things yeah yeah like said that you know and like it's interesting because like uh, if he'd been like open to talking about at least like the work and like what the work Mm -hmm. you know meant a little bit more to him too Mm -hmm. like it could have really done that because i think with A Star is Born, as much as we, like, still love that movie, and I think that movie's gonna have, like, you know, a treasured status for a while. I think so, too. It's, like, it doesn't feel like we still... We talk about his performance, but we don't talk about, like, the leap that Bradley Cooper had as, like, a filmmaker. Right. And maybe we will whenever his Leonard Bernstein movie is finally made. Right. But... Listen, Lady Gaga's going to be great as Leonard Bernstein, so <laughs> I don't care what any of you say. Cannot wait for any type of tribute he will be giving her this season true. with the House of Gucci. Is he in anything this year that could possibly lead to a, uh, a Stars on Stars reunion for the two of them? Oh my god, I hope i'm going to look this up i absolutely hope so because if not who do we want lady gaga's stars on stars to be this this year Ooh, okay so who who else is in the race that we could pair her with this is what i'm saying this is what i'm asking i know i'm just i'm vocalizing the question (laughs) so that i so we can buy ourselves some time yeah i want to i almost want to see her with someone unexpected and uh you know what i want what? you know what i really want what? the thing that i was literally thinking that i want what i want her to win best actress yes provided yes that olivia coleman is also nominated i was just about to say olivia coleman so that she can end her speech shouting olivia, olivia coleman, coleman and blowing right. her a kiss like i want that's that's the stars on stars that i want is the two of them talking because it can also it can talk about olivia winning the oscar they can also we can also sort of imagine that like off screen they're gossiping about glenn close because we know we love to be you know performatively catty about glenn close gaga would never gaga was like very reverential to she glenn very much close was. in that season very much i will never forget that glenn close is lady gaga's mom's friend wait what <laughs> wasn't that part of the thing she's like oh i know glenn she hangs out with my mom i never heard that part once. that's fantastic that's super fantastic i love that maybe i'm unnecessarily hanging on to something past it that was said but like i'm pretty sure i remember from that round glenn table, close has the corner table point, she's like oh i know her she knows my mom catch glenn close at the corner table at joe antratoria like whenever whenever you're in town 
Next time I come to New York, maybe we should go to Drawing Report. I've never been, so that could be fun. Let's go. Maybe Stephanie will be there. Maybe. We haven't, we still haven't paired Gaga with an actress on actor. I said Olivia Coleman. That's what I wanted. Oh, okay. Okay. You're just going to go with Olivia Coleman. If Olivia uh, Coleman is out, I guess I will say Olivia Coleman as well. There's some options. There's some other options, I feel like. We could put her with, uh, um, I mean, I want I want to pair everybody with Timmy for uh, for Dune, and we could put her. Um, no, put her and Ariana DeBose for uh, West Side Story. I want to see those two talk. Or you could put her with Ariana Grande for Don't Look Up. Okay, all right, stop. We're stopping that right now. We are not. Oh, you you will resent it. I I'm I have a feeling. I am not based on what that movie is that it's going to be Ariana Grande as Ariana Grande. I am not emotionally prepared for an Oscar campaign for Ariana Grande. I can't. I don't think that's going to be a thing. You I know, don't. She's just going to be an annoying Adam McKay cameo. Yeah, so it'll be the the Selena Gomez of a. Uh... She'll film. be the Naomi Watts. Yeah. Oh no, that's a sad thing to say about Naomi Watts. Oh, what if Naomi Watts gets an unexpected late resurgence for Penguin Bloom, and it's Naomi Watts and Lady Gaga stars on Stars? <laughs> what if that? What if Naomi Watts is nominated for Penguin Bloom, and Melissa McCarthy is nominated for not Penguin Bloom? Wait, the Netflix movie that is basically Penguin Bloom. The absolute chaos of Lady Gaga and Jessica Chastain doing Stars on Stars. We might not recover. Oh, oh, we might not oh, recover. I would live. I know. I know. Um, what else? The 2018 Oscar year, Jessica which... I would absolutely insist on calling her Stephanie. <laughs> we did a 2018 movie before, but we didn't really talk about the Oscar race that year, because what else was there to talk about with Cats? Most recent 2018 was also, like, a Best Actor Outsider um with boy is back or not boy is back <laughs> not boy is back boy erase i love that you did that completely sincerely boy is back <laughs> <laughs> i would watch that um bo- it, it, okay the wild thing about the mule is that it is not an aarp movies for grown-ups nominee i mean that's one of the wild things that's for sure but you know what movies for grown-ups once again taste the taste level it's a good lineup. All tell, right. tell our lovely listeners what the AARP Movies for Grown-Ups Best Actor lineup is. Hold on. Let me find it. Um, I know Willem Dafoe is nominated, which is hilarious to me. That is funnier than the Oscar nomination. Hold on. Give me a second, because it's not linked anywhere, so I gotta find it. Pretty sure... Vigo Mortensen is nominated to... I'm trying to pull it up. I'm pulling it up. It's fine. We got the dead air. No, we're going to make them sit in it. Um, Sit with what you've done. (laughs) All right. Movies for Grown Ups Awards for 2018. Was this the year that we were so excited to watch them and then then they were, like, not live on PBS? Yeah, and we still live-tweeted them because... We're on well. That's the chaos you sign up for with this yeah, podcast. That's what you've asked for. That's what you're getting. Um, hold on. Okay, so the winner, yes, was Vigo Mortensen for Green Book, which Gross. I mean, I just said the taste, but we're gonna forget that. Um Hugh Jackman for the front runner, a film I've still not seen. <laughs> we should do that for this podcast at some point so that I will at some point. If we do it. it, it's gonna be another one of those movies where we're gonna be struggling to talk about the movie. 
I mean, that's fine. I don't mind that. Uh, Willem Dafoe, as you mentioned, for Ed Eternity's Gate is the only crossover with the Oscar lineup. It's still... It's not surprising that Willem Dafoe at this point is getting Oscar nominations because the Oscars love him. But, like, Ed Eternity's Gate really, truly barely made it onto anybody's radar that year. It's really, really surprising that, like, he was on, like, everybody's long list as, like, if you needed to fill out a list of 10 Oscar pops possibilities, mm-hmm. he was, like, the one you threw in there at 10, just to... He's easy to imagine, to imagine being in fifth place in terms of the nominations because, like, yeah. that fifth slot was kind of up for grabs. And I think yeah. the thing that we were underplaying was the fact that he was nominee before so he's like very familiar he's like very top of mind for oscar voters right that's the type of thing we can right uh, undervalue john c Riley was nominated for stan and ollie he was another one who sort of like crept onto those possibilities lists late Mm -hmm. late late in that season he was a globe nominee um once people sort of started seeing that movie they started talking him up a little bit it's not a bad movie it's one of those movies that like Nobody was really excited to see it, but once people actually saw it, they were like, that's not a bad movie, which was sort of my experience with it as well. Um, and then my pick for this category, who actually I think get delivered a very good performance, and seeming like for whatever weird reason, the Oscars just never nominate him. He's only ever gotten one nomination ever, which is strange. It's Robert Redford for The Old Man and the Gun, which is an underrated movie with an v- underrated lead performance. I would say. And an underrated supporting actress performance. Sissy. The Old Man and the Gun, I want us to do that movie soon because like I just want an excuse to revisit it because it's like, really good. That is a movie that has sat with me so incredibly well and is only more and more interesting as David Lowry continues. I was to gonna do say things. David Lowry makes movies that sit really well with you, with the exception of I would say Anthem Body Saints, which is I, I think don't remember anything about the it. more and more I as time goes on with David Lowry movies, the more and more I'm like, that is a real noble swing. There are things about that movie that intrigue me, but I don't think it holds together on a very fundamental level. But Pete's Dragon, Green Knight, Old Man and the Gun, like David Lowry can A Ghost Story. A ghost story. A ghost story is a great example of that. Um Call Me a Simp, but my favorite David Lowry is Pete's Dragon. I mean it's a very good movie. I friggin' sobbed in that. It's a very good movie. He's a. Though I think in the long run, Old Man and the Gun will probably be my favorite. He keeps making movies where people like us have to be like, you know what was a really good movie was this. Because, like, they just have not really caught on Mm -hmm. with the public. They are not movies that are made for cinema score. Like, they are movies that grow on you. They're movies that, like, we're fully prepared to, like, understand what it's trying to do when we first i feel like green knight has been the one that like has done the best in that way but even with green knight it would like it wasn't till like the day after not for everybody right it wasn't till the day after that i really really appreciated how much it is but like i can understand where like if i'm recommending movies to like a family member you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can understand how annoying it would be for me to be like, the thing about this guy's movies is you're not going to really get it right away. And it's just like, I can understand somebody being like, then why am I watching this movie? But for people <laughs> but like us... Old Man us, and the Gun is unique yeah. because like... Old Man and the Gun's a crowd pleaser. I will I will easily recommend that movie to people. It's a romance. Yeah. 
It's, it's fun. Like it's a fun movie. It's a fun, sweet movie that like is good in all of the ways that um the mule is bad and toxic. Yes. Um, yes. That is a like, movie about a charming America, old man. Americana. Right. Old Man in the Gun is good. That is a movie about a charming old white man who you want to root for even though he's doing criminal activities. That is the movie that you watch, not the fucking mule. Absolutely. So good on the M- listeners. For that. We'll eventually do Old Man in the Gun, but you should go watch it very soon yes. for the scene where he and Sissy SpaceX steal a bracelet. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is exquisite. It is. It's wonderful. All right. Uh, That's the movies for grownups. If we're still talking about like the best actor race this year, because like, yes. here's the thing about Clint in movies where he also stars and is directing that I feel like it's cemented in his Oscar narrative, right? Both of the movies he won Best Picture and Best Director for, he also was nominated for Best Actor. It's like you can't really extricate them. Right. So when we have like a movie like this and Gran Torino, I think it makes it very easy for people to like throw another Clint Eastwood movie on their predictions. Yes. Right. Right. Because even if it's bad, it's going to get attention. Right. And like this movie did get attention which is why i'm surprised there's really nothing going for it awards wise because like this movie made a hundred million dollars yeah it like it's got aarp movies for grown-ups written all over it honestly i genuinely feel like the audience that it was going for was already there with green book and they were like we got it we're good i think that's probably true too they already have you know uh, a movie that, like, they think a happy is... white grievance movie, exactly, and like, uh, really is ultimately just reinforcing all of those bad things. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting Oscar year, though. It's a deep bench for best actor. The nominees, mm-hmm. and that, which is why it makes some of the nominees and and the eventual winner for a lot of people be frustrating. I still am. More sanguine on Rami Malek and Bohemian Rhapsody than probably 99% of other people out there. I don't feel like watching it a second time really like landed home that like, no, this isn't, this is not a great movie. It's maybe not even a good movie. I think I still feel like I don't feel in my gut the sort of like base level rage that a lot of people feel towards that movie or towards Malek's performance, but I will concede that like, you know, I will concede the point. Um, it's very, it's an incredibly smooth brain movie, and it's because it's all like it's a, it's you know constructed by the chainsaw uh, hands of you know studio committee because right. of the whole Brian Singer thing. Right. And, like Brian Singer didn't construct that final movie. Right. Um, also, I Rami think... Malek is just a very peculiar personality type as an actor, and just like the more things you see him in, I think he's horrible. Well, this is the thing: the more thing you see, the more things you see him in, the less those things feel like choices, and the more they feel like, oh, this is just like your weird affect. But yeah, this is just a bad actor. Like I right. will say, Rami Malek is not nearly as bad in Bohemian Rhapsody as he is in The Little Things. Agreed. Agreed. Um. But I think that's also still a frustrating best actor win. But I do think, like, felt educational to me in terms of how these things sometimes shake out. And that, you know, 
I mean, it was probably closer to Best Picture than we all want to admit. But yeah. like, it was almost certainly second he place. Became, he became that movie's de facto big win. Right. Because, like, it's just like... It, first of all, the Academy has become very wealth-spreading in terms of what it gives wins. And it's like, yes. you know, here's one for you, here's one for you. It's like, it made it very easy for Marriage Story to not win anything because they were going to so easily give it to Laura Dern. So, like, that's the win for that movie. Like, that type of example. And I think it's... I think that ultimately helped play into Olivia Coleman's win because, like, that movie didn't win anything else. Sure. And it probably sure, sure, sure. wasn't close to winning anything else. Um, but it was frustrating. It's doubly frustrating, aside from all the things about the performance in the movie that are bad, because it felt like no one was saying the thing that they were crediting Rami Malek with the movie becoming a hit. And because of the troubled production, he was getting credit for right, right. pulling the pulling the thing together. together in some way. Yes, and it was like it was always this subtextual thing, and no one ever just said the thing. And it was like I would maybe just respect it a little bit more if you would just say the thing, because they were so avoidant of saying the truth about Brian Singer during all of it. And to say, well, Rami Malek helped pull this thing together is to, you have to admit what the truth is about Brian Singer. Wait, what's, what is the truth that people wouldn't admit? All, I mean, well, the, all of the underage sex allegations. Oh, but like, that's not why he left the production of Bohemian Rhapsody though. No, he left it because he's a nightmare and a monster. Right. He's just like, he's, yeah, he just was, you know, a, nightmare to work with and had no no you know willingness to actually direct this movie and yet seemingly keeps getting you know kept getting thrown job after job after job um but rami malik reaped the benefits of that movie doing well and like even some of it like you know all of this stuff like how he these wisp this whisper campaign that he was getting into fights with Brian Singer right, during and right. like everybody was like pulling it together for Rami Malek and it's just like you know just say the thing like but the I think that whole campaign and the whole studio like uh, press response was just to avoid mentioning any of it and yeah it, that was very frustrating <laughs> to me the most annoying nominee of this five is actually Christian Bale for Vice because my my feeling is just sort of like why did we why did we need that to get nominated i understand that like the oscar voters still t- tend to be very very impressed by impersonations but a i don't think it's he ran the gamut too it's not I know. like i know it's not like his american hustle nomination i know but i uh, but i never i never understood it he's won an oscar it's not like you know we need him to keep trying for that it's not like people really it's it's like vice got a bunch of nominations but it never felt like people really liked it even people who sort of didn't hate it like that seemed to be we say that green book is already like checking the boxes that the mule is checking so that's why the mule didn't do i think it's probably also at least functionally true for vice because people didn't see vice until very late and like if people had had time to really sit with that movie vice absolutely would not do as well with the academy as it did yeah. I think Vice politically though is you're you're able to watch Vice and be like 
well, that was a takedown of Dick Cheney, and I'm glad that it was. And right. I don't think it's as much of a takedown of Dick Cheney as it thinks it is. But I think the if you liked if you liked Vice, you liked it for being that. Um, it's also just a movie too that like thinks that everyone in the audience is so stupid, yeah, and like is so absolutely convicted. This in, this I know, agree. We with. didn't know this about the right. about Cheney at the time, and it's like, are you kidding me? I I was in high school and I knew this. This shit. is the movie where this is the take that I agree with. I don't necessarily think it as much about the Big Short, but I definitely agree with it about this. This movie really does think you're stupid, um, and also though, it's not that dynamic of a performance. It's not that good of a performance i can never i can remember nothing about it it's not even that convincing of a mimicry right and again he already has an oscar i can understand a little little bit why you would nominate amy adams because you're all you just want you like amy adams and you want to see if you know maybe this is her year but like that doesn't exist for christian bale i don't understand and it doesn't exist for sam rockwell and with him getting nominated for an even less interesting impersonation of george w bush like i just don't understand it and then you have Vigo Mortensen folding a pizza in half. But again, I get that. Literally, like that to me, I understand it. I understand why people loved Vigo Mortensen in that movie. If you like because that movie, you can understand people having the bad taste to go along with that. Like it's a, it's an engaging performance. It's a big, boisterous like that is a performance that is out there to entertain you. And I understand people being entertained by it. I genuinely and do. And it's unlike his other nominations, too. Yes. So it's like, on an industry level, they can see it yep. as, you know, versatility or whatever. But the only one of these five I would even nominate is Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born. Absolutely. I think all the other interesting ones are not nominated. John David Washington should have been nominated, I think, for Black Klansman. Probably, I would guess he's sixth place because oh, of yeah. the Globe and SAG Absolutely. nominations. I'm still very mystified that Ethan Hawke didn't get better traction. And not because, like, I, I do understand why First Reformed would have puzzled a lot of people. But I think because Ethan Hawke is a two-time Oscar nominee, because Paul Schrader feels so within the wheelhouse of a lot of these sort of older mm-hmm. uh, Academy members who remember the 70s as being this, this, this golden age, and even for as strange as... First Reform is, especially in the note that it ends on. There are so many things about that movie that I'm like, I don't, it's not, it's not that difficult of a movie to grasp. And it's, it would seem to have been a movie that could have easily sold people on this idea that like, it's about, you know, environment, it's about the environment and it's about, you know, this sort of sense of creeping hopelessness and i know that hopelessness is a tough emotion to sell people on when you want people to be like enthusiastically it's not like the actors branch hasn't gone for bleaker movies we were just right. talking about ellen burston in fucking requiem for a treat and that movie like, is such a showcase for him like it's very it's very it yeah, still it's surprises me it still surprises me that he didn't get more traction for that but alas i mean i think like i'm one of those people who had who was like really shaken up by that movie in a way I was not expecting Yeah, first time I saw and I think it is a movie that you do have to like sit with and like sit with what disturbs you about it and I think even though it was a spring release I don't think people who were like in the Academy or like the Globes were watching that movie until late yeah I think Ethan Hawke, to me, in my mind, always twins with Tony Collette in Hereditary as those two great performances that everybody who watched the movie was raved about, but which never, like, which were too, too much, too much for seemingly for Academy members. Yeah. But, like, Tony Collette, I understand, where, like, some Academy members are A, 
to yeah tony collette cuts off her own head in that movie well yeah yes and like there i can understand that there are people who are too much of a scaredy cat to watch a horror movie and i also feel like there are people who automatically place all horror movies in a box of you know not worthy for uh awards attention or whatever we are absolutely not having an elevated horror conversation no because i'll piss everybody else in our audience off (laughs) um but it's it's it surprises me more that ethan hawk couldn't get any attention is just what i'll say agreed anyway agreed anything else i'm trying to just going through my notes about the mule besides just like random swearing oh i love that there was a fucking scene where we got a patriotic polka song that felt like the last box in like a in a bingo card or something like that that somebody really like got their jackpot on that one the sex scene is when I was really oh, ready right, to the threesome. flip a table. The fucking threesome. Because it, it's very much a movie that it's like, isn't it funny that Clint Eastwood is about to have sex with these two young women? Yeah. In a way that's like very much ogling these actresses. Yeah. And like, there's a montage of butts in this movie. <laughs> Made me think of, remember the can butt movie from the Blue is the Warmest Color guy? I don't. That was a wonderful day. If I still <laughs> need, if I still need a good laugh, I will go back and read the uh, MacTube, my love, intermezzo reviews just to see all of the ways that people describe how this four-hour movie <laughs> is basically <laughs> just Butts. a four-hour montage of rump shaker shots. Oh my god! <laughs> now you're gonna make me find the rump shaker intro just so i'm gonna have to put that in there thank you thank you very much <laughs> uh throw that in there right after i say mech tube my love yes i certainly will all right but yeah yeah the threesome got a lot of attention in a in a sort of you know it's the most mainstream that i feel like the mule got was people would be like there's a movie where clean eastwood has a threesome I get so annoyed when people, uh, the, the criticism that goes around that like, they're just making this for the memes or they're just having this storyline for right, memes. Right. And I'm like, that's absurd to me. Yes. But like watching the mule, the mule, the mule, the mule I, I just want to call it the mule. The mule. Um, watching this movie, I was like, are they real? Maybe they are just trying to get the memes. Maybe. Like, I'm, I'm surprised that I haven't seen a meme of, Clint Eastwood saying, you're welcome, Dykes. Again, for a movie that is about a character and is directed by a man who seems to have never even heard of the internet, it's a movie that feels that it, that like it exists for the internet, internet in a way that feels wrong and also annoying. Right. Yeah. I think we can both safely agree. We think that Nick Shank is the authorial voice on this movie. I do. And like top 10 people, I never want to sit down and have a meal with (laughs) like ever i don't know i just feel like i would not appreciate his finer qualities we could talk a little bit about diane weist it feels like diane weist in the way that a year after this talking of movies that were filmed fast and they look like dog shit uh richard jewell um what happened with kathy bates diane weist feels like the type of actress yeah. who like that type of nomination could just happen. And I think some people initially predicted her when they saw her for this movie. People. Yes. And I feel like I always feel like people overestimate that the sort of the thankless female uh, supporting performance in a movie about an irascible old man, people always feel like, well, yeah, well like clearly like this will 
carry along this secondary uh, actress. And it's just like, no, it's just going to be about this irascible old man. So <laughs> like rem- who was in, was it also, was it Sissy Spacek and Get Low where I feel like people were sort of when, yeah. when Duval was getting all of that attention for Get Low and they're like, well, Sissy Spacek too. And it's just like, that is not, that is a thankless role. That is not something that's going to do any good for Sissy Spacek. Well, but thankless roles have been not, I mean, like, yeah. especially when we're talking right. about women, like, thinking of, like, the Maggie Gyllenhaal nomination. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, for Crazy Heart. Yeah, that's a good point. I can't wait to talk something about Maggie this season. I know. I've I missed am her. excited for this movie. Um, but yeah, justice for Diane. But I'm, 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 I'm good with Diane got her justice. She is spectacular in uh, Steven Soderbergh's Let Them All Talk. Yes, but we did all give most of the attention to Candace Bergen. Deservedly so, but I'm just saying. I, I, I mean, yes. And then poor Diane had to be in that fucking Rosamund Pike movie that I hated. Oh, God, I Care A Lot is terrible. Though I do feel like I Care A Lot is uh, uh, an interesting footnote in the Free Britney, um, you know, education. Oh, God. All right, on. if you're not going to talk about elevated horror i'm gonna put my foot down about talking about fucking the britney conservatorship i'm not i'm not doing it (laughs) fucking psychopath fans of hers that's the last thing i need in my life my elevated horror rant is like there is no such thing as elevated horror no oh no 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 that was not an invitation to actually do the elevated horror thing no 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 i am fine not having that conversation um let's do the mdb game (laughs) All right. Do you want to explain the IMDb game to our listeners? Yes. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress's name to try and guess what the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Would you like to give her guess first i'll guess okay all right so we mentioned this movie unceremoniously features allison eastwood yes the daughter a star and oh director, no i Clint know where this is going eastwood. and i already hate you i have pulled up for you the son of clint eastwood mr scott The defining characteristic of Scott Eastwood is that nobody remembers when they've seen him in a movie. So thank you very much for tasking me with remembering four (laughs) movies that he's been in. An impossible task. Oh my gosh. Um, Well, the one I do remember him being in, because it seemed for a second like they were sort of auditioning him to be the Paul Walker replacement in many ways, was Fast 8 fate of the furious so that's what i'm going to correct he is billed as little nobody great um isn't he also all of it all of his known for is they are actual character names they are not like <laughs> you know jock number three right uh is it suicide squad the first suicide squad suicide a squad uh the right. squad the suicide he's not in any of the hunger games movies is he are you guessing one of the Hunger Games? Yes. Movies? Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. No. If it's one of the other ones, I'm going to be mad at you. Um, he is fathomable as being part of the Divergent Cinematic Universe, but... Yes! He's one kid. could fathom that. He really just does have the most unremarkable face. Which is not to say that it's... A, like, he's... 
bland, blandly handsome. Like if you look up the term blandly handsome, like that is him right there. All right. I mean, he's got to be in one of his dad's movies. I, well, from when he was a child, it looks like. Oh, are you giving me a hint? Or, you know, young adult. He's in Gran Torino, but it's not in his known form. Okay. Oh, he's in Pacific Rim Uprising. Correct. Pacific Rim Uprising. You have one movie left to guess uh, with only one wrong answer. Is he in Richard Jewell? Not in Richard Jewell. So that is an incorrect answer. Uh, This last movie is from 2015. Hmm. I will give this to you that it is a Nicholas Sparks movie because I was going to say this looks like it would be a fucking Nicholas Sparks movie, but I don't think it is. It is. It's that rodeo one. Is it rodeo? No. It is definitely some cowboy stuff. It's not about a rodeo? She's wearing a cowboy hat on the poster, and he's putting it on her head. Right, that movie. I thought I would have bet my entire life savings, which are none, but whatever, that that was about rodeo. It is called The Longest Ride. Yeah, would have never gotten that title. But I know, like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. She's, like, wearing, like, a cowboy hat because it's, like, cool and sexy, and he's like, put. it looks like he put it on her head, but it also looks like he could be going boop. She is either like, cowboy hat. like he's booping Danielle her. Panabaker or um, Britt Robertson. That's who it is. It's Britt Robertson, of course. Who is Britt Robertson? Britt Robertson was in Tomorrowland. She was in. Oh, fuck. Um, oh, what else was Britt Robertson in? I definitely have liked her in some things. She's in a bunch of TV. She was in uh, Under the Dome, I'm pretty sure. You want to talk about, like, a black hole of knowledge for me in terms of pop culture? It's Tomorrowland. Uh-huh. I, I should have seen Tomorrowland because, like, anything that Tomorrowland touched that wasn't George Clooney. Yeah. I don't know anything. Oh, I think she's Julia Roberts's daughter in Mother's Day. Mm. she's the daughter out to you i haven't seen she's the daughter of julia roberts's wig in mother's day here's what i will tell you seeing mother's day in the theater is not an experience i regret that was a wild fucking movie (laughs) i will say i wish i'd seen second act in the theater oh god me too me too all right for you excuse me as i hiccup i'll say it again chris for you I chose from a Clint Eastwood-directed movie that I really like, which was the... Sorry, I keep hiccuping. It's okay. Which was the Best Picture nominee, Letters from Iwo Jima. The star of that movie is Ken Watanabe. Ken Watanabe, who is in a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, so really my question is, how many Christopher Nolans am I going to guess? Um, I'm just going to come out and say his Oscar nomination first, The Last Samurai. Correct. Correct. A This Had Oscar Buzz movie that got Oscar nominations. Like, that is... That got, like, eight Oscar nominations. Oh, I only think it got, like, two. I think it, like... No, it got it, a couple crafts categories. It definitely underperformed. Okay, it was nominated for four Oscars, but it's still... Relative to expectations, definitely underperformed. Right. Um, um, but yes. 
Hmm. See, Leto's from Iwo Jima is interesting because he's definitely first build in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's a big enough movie that I feel like it could have some pull there. But I'm going to not guess that. Okay. And I'm going to guess the Christopher Nolan movies first. So Batman Begins. Incorrect. Not Batman Begins. Okay, well then Inception is definitely there. Inception, yes. Okay. Those are the only two Christopher Nolan movies I'm pretty sure that he's in. Mm. Yeah, but he was like billed on the poster. Oh yeah, like he's definitely, yes, definitely in those. But I just mean, it's not like he's made like every Christopher Nolan movie. Right. Um. Actually, I'm going to guess the other oscar movie before I guess Letters from Iwo Jima. I'm going to guess uh, Memoirs of a Geisha. That is a fantastic guess that is nonetheless incorrect. So, Damn. your two missing movies are 2014 and 2019. So neither of those are Letters from Iwo Jima. Correct. I didn't guess that. Correct. 2019, wow. That's just like the sea of pre-pandemic movies that are like unstrung in time for me unless they are cats Um, (laughs) 2019 what was he in the other year was what 2014 2014 so 2014 is that sea of trees uh, not Sea of Trees, although that, I think that might have been, no, tw- Sea of Trees was 2015, but anyway, okay. not Sea of Trees. I love that you remember that he's in Sea of Trees, though. He's on the poster. Okay. I've seen Sea of Trees also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck, what is this? What are these? What indeed are these? Wait, is is the 2019 movie the movie with him and Julianne Moore where she's an opera singer, whatever that's Bel called? Bel Canto? No, it's not, but uh, it's a hell of a guess. Yeah. Bel Canto should be the like new poster child for, like, I'm sorry, Julianne, I can't do all of these. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely the case there. Both of your missing movies are big, wide releases. Okay. Are they franchises? Yes. Okay. Um. A very kind of peculiarly built franchise. But peculiarly built franchise. I mean, I know he's not in the MCU. He's not in the DCU. Correct. Peculiarly built. What do you mean? Well, I can't really explain it without giving it away. Oh. Do we like this franchise? I like the first movie of this franchise. Okay. And then the rest have been bad. Well, the rest or I have the rest I haven't bad. seen. So, gotcha. I can't say. He's second build. He's second build. In the first, uh, in the first, really, have I seen these? You've maybe seen one of them. You've maybe seen the same one that I have. Okay, maybe. which is the first one? Yeah. So 2014, 2014. Okay, I'm guessing this was a summer movie. Yes. 
this was like the summer that I was working 80 hour work weeks on top of getting married and like it was busy. I could give you a hint, but the hint is, is MCU based. So you won't get it. Unfortunately. Um, this was a sort of summer blockbuster that I really liked. And a lot of people kind of didn't um in a way that i thought was a little i don't know missing the forest for the trees but that doesn't really help you um it's a franchise that had a 2020 component oh okay so like a third a third one came out in 2020 yeah well no 2020 sorry 2021 i don't know what years are anymore oh okay 2021 Twenty twenty one franchise. And is one of the like very few twenty twenty one box office success stories. Is this the Godzilla movies? Yes. Godzilla. Okay, I do really like the first Godzilla. Me too. But like I couldn't tell you who is in those movies except for Juliette Binoche because she dies. Well, Godzilla <laughs> King of Monsters is Which I never saw. <laughs> is right, same here. But it's um Watanabe's in it, but it's Millie Bobby Brown and uh um Kyle Chandler and Vera Farmiga. And then the third one is Millie Bobby Brown and Rebecca Hall. And yeah, now I remember that he's in it. Yeah. But I don't, I would never think about the cast of the Godzilla movies. Let them fight. He wants them to fight. <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong or Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, terrible. Oh, see, I heard from people who who seem to really like it in a in a very I like. I think there are um, on something. This is that, but I think that was a lot of people's very first movie seeing back yeah, in the theater yeah. again. Yeah. Um. In fact, uh, I waited to Godzilla see it. Godzilla's cool though. The first one is cool. It's beautiful. I liked it. It's a beautifully filmed movie. It looks fucking gorgeous. I was going to give you the hint that it stars twins because uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson are both in it, and they play twins in the mcu but that I never would have gotten that's that. why i didn't give it to you that's why that's why it's <laughs> oh yeah elizabeth olsen is in that movie she sure is she looks up Barely. she looks up and uh sees uh, godzilla at one point that's her yep. role in that movie. that's that's 50 percent of her screen yes time. it is yes all right cool well we talked about the movie. uh well we finally did the mole the funny uh, thing is glad that's behind us i'm the one glad who this was puts more distance Go ahead. I was ahead. the one who was pushing for us to do the mule all this time, and then I was so <laughs> fucking crabby about it, but, you know, whatever. You know, sometimes we, I think sometimes our listeners, or a, a faction of our listeners, want some Scorched Earth episodes where we can, <laughs> Maybe. you know, rip a movie to shreds. And then we can and, replant and re-sow the fields, yes. And hopefully this one uh, made you guys happy. Uh, Cry Macho, if you would Ugh. like to torture yourself, will be out soon. Uh, we could also plug, uh, we are about ready to, at the time of this airing, we are about to uh, engage virtually with the Toronto International Film Festival. Yeah. And we will be doing a special episode with our thoughts on the films that we are seeing. We definitely will. And uh, be on the lookout for that. I don't. We haven't discussed uh, when we're going to record yeah, or drop that. We probably should, but it'll be soon. <laughs> yes. All right. 
Alrighty, uh, that's our episode. If you guys want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, where can our listeners find uh, more of you? Sure, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Letterboxd, Joe Reed, Reed spelled the same way. And I am thanking all of the Dykes on Bikes on Twitter.com and Letterboxd.com at Chris V. File. That is F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts on the uh, internet. Uh, a five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so write us a nice review, but uh, please say thanks without using a homophobic slur. Uh, that's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. do you belong in your skin? Just wondering. Gentle mouth and tender breeze Whispers through my grand Torino Whistling another tired song Engine on and bitter dreams grow Hard luck